more than 100 unique styles of beer, each with their own set of ingredients, process, guidelines, history, and experience. If you're a beer lover, an industry leader, or somewhere in between, a better knowledge of beer style will improve your life and your work. Welcome to A Sense of Beer Style, essential beer style training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. I'm Julia Herz. And I'm Jeremy Storton. We're advanced Cicerones, beer judges, home brewers, and we're excited to guide you through the vast and wonderful world of beer styles. Well, welcome back to the show, everyone. Welcome back, Julia. Uh, Today is going to be another fun one because today we're going to talk about the most popular beer style, uh, craft beer style in the world, and that's the IPA. Are you excited? Yes. Yes. This is, yes, this yes. is uh, a fun thing. Uh, doing a little bit more research on this because, you know, and it used to be an IPA is an IPA is an IPA, and that's not the case anymore. And we're going to get into all the different nuances of the different kinds of IPAs. Uh, and anyone who's already working in the beer business, we know there's a difference between British. We know there's a difference between West Coast and, and East Coast and, and everything in between. Uh, we'll dive more into that as we get to each of the style casts. Uh, one thing I want to just shed a little bit of light on, though, is when we talk about the American IPA, uh, according to uh, the 2021 BJCP guidelines, uh, which is what we're using to kind of delineate style from uh, from style, is, you know, I, I love how they really just kind of give a little bit of uh, uh, a credit and respect to the original, the the English IPA, the India Pale Ale. Uh, that is in its own category. This is not just a generic IPA. This is kind of like an American IPA and its derivatives to the point where they don't even, uh, they intentionally don't call this American India Pale Ale. This American beer never went to India. It's not, it's typically not that pale. They specifically call this IPA. Uh, and and when we get into uh, its variations, we're going to keep that theme. So when when you're listening to this, when you look at different IPAs, we're, we're going to start separating these out into kind of regional IPAs. This one is, is generically American uh, with a strong lean toward West Coast, with a strong lean toward American ingredients. And that's how we can start thinking about just the, the quote unquote base style of American IPA. Right, Julia? Yeah. Yes. So, uh, so speaking of just IPA, let's start talking about ingredients and then we'll get into the rest. We can and we should. I'll also add that this style, interesting enough, looking at Great American Beer Festival, really didn't come into play as the number one entered style over American Pale Ale till the early Mm -hmm. 2000s. So it took a while for brewers to have this be popular because the American Pale Ale, which Jeremy and I on Sense of Beer Style have a have a style cast on was the most popular, right? From the English sales, then you get American Pale Ale, then you get American IPA, and then you get all of these variants. So I just thought I'd, I'd say it's kind of been a slow rise to fame. Um, and classic ingredients, though, this is super great beer style to make, uh, home brewing level and on the, the pro brewer level. But your basic um, American Pale Malt, you can have American or English ale yeast, so it's definitely an ale. Uh, you'll get a little more fruity esters uh, with the English ale yeast, a little cleaner with the American. Um, some sugar additions can be added as kind of an adjunct or fermentable to dry it out. 
I think there's such a spectrum in the style. We'll talk about that in the statistics, but I like the ones that finish dry, leave me quenched, refreshed, wanting more. Some are a little bit more kind of junk me up, a little bit higher in residual sugar. And I don't know, <laughs> those aren't my favorite examples. Um, you could have some caramel crystal malt the style guidelines talk about, and you'll get some, you know, pale malt flavors for sure as the base, but a little bit of crystal flavor or malt or caramel flavor is acceptable. And then American, the nose, new world hops, the hops of the tropics, the hops of the forest, you know, tangerine, clementine, uh, orange, citrus, all the way to pineapple. And then leading into the forest of juniper, spruce, pine, that's your range of flavors that you're going to find in these. Um, and that uh, is going to give us flavor from the hops, but you definitely have hop bitterness as a big attribute. So higher alpha acid hops used for bitterness. Um and then, you know, carbonation's key. I don't think it even mentions it in the style guidelines, but I, I want this at 2.5, more than actually, should I correct myself, 2.7, you know, almost to three-point volumes of CO2 makes it drier. So those are your classic ingredients, um, and I'm already <laughs> thirsty, so I want to pass it to Jeremy. So he starts talking about the appearance while I open yeah, my and, and example. This is fun because, like we alluded to before, like I, I alluded to before, and you kind of uh, touched on this as well, is, you know, like saying – Saying I like an IPA is like saying I like Italian food. You landed my plane in the right country, but I need a lot more information before I know exactly what you're talking about. You're talking about you like something a little bit drier. I like something a little bit more balanced. But granted, when we're talking IPA, uh, we're talking a hop forward beer. This is all about the hops. But it's not to say that everything else is a, a second, uh, a secondary thought. I mean, everything should work in harmony with each other. So when we get into appearance. Julia, you're showing your, I can't wait to talk about your glass. That's such a great glass for an IPA. Uh, but when we're talking about uh, uh, the average American IPA, we're talking about medium gold to even a light amber. Maybe it's starting to head into like copperish territory, but not quite there. It, it, it can run the gamut. I've seen some that have just been pale see-through with a ton of hops. I've seen some that are just this beautiful gold that just reminds me of a sunny day in, in summer. These are just beautiful beers. We can expect these to be, they, they should be pretty clear, but you know, not always. Sometimes if they're uh, dry hopped or they're, they're not even intended to be a hazy IPA, but there's still a little bit of haze, that is perfectly fine for these beers. Just let them be, just enjoy them and drink them. These these uh, with these IPAs, uh, we're looking for a, a moderate white off uh, or off. Uh, excuse me, a moderate white to off white head. There should be really good persistence. I have yet to find an IPA that just does not hold foam properly. Uh, at least a good one. Uh, if 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 it doesn't hold foam really well, there's there's something else going on there. But uh, I poured my glass. If you're watching this, I poured my glass a couple minutes ago, and the, there's still this just beautiful rocky moosey foam uh, in my glass. And if you're listening, well, I just described it. This is what I would expect out of an IPA. And if if I'm not seeing that, then I've got some more questions uh, to figure out if there's something wrong or if this is just some different version that someone's bringing to me. But that said, let's talk about aroma. Excellent. And aroma is uh, the yeah. the fun place after you've looked at it to start. Uh, intense hop aroma, right? This is a centric style to the hop aroma and flavor, not just hop bitterness. Hops play as much of, if not more of a role in this beer than the malt. Um, I mentioned those new world hops of tropics in the forest. So you kind of already got that calibrated in your head. Um, 
maltiness uh, and an essence of malted barley behind the scenes would be there. So getting a little bit uh, not to darker honey, that would maybe mean oxidized, but more pale malt notes, which would be medium, low, kiln malt flavored notes, which really doesn't tell you what's up. Take a piece of bread, go to the interior before you get to the outside crust, but it's not the center. The center of that bread is more like wheat malt and pilsner malt, but right before You go to the outside where that crust starts, where it baked, right? It got exposed to more heat. Those are the flavors you're going to get. You know, light, light pecans, a little bit of cashews, right? You're um, you're also going to get some soda crackers maybe um, and some uh, grape nut cereal in there. Sure. But those are the malt flavors that I'm looking for. Very clean profile, a little bit of uh, esters though. If you've used especially that English ale yeast, um, kind of uh, unripe or, or ripe strawberries and raspberries. Um, and then some ethanol, right? I get a boost of ethanol because this style has a range where you start to get to a more medium level of alcohol. So don't forget that that ethanol might kind of prickle your nose as well as the CO2 or carbonation that's volatilizing. Yeah. And when we get to the flavor, you know, this is, uh, you know, being a professional taster is, is not for the faint of heart. This is something that you need to train for. This is something you need to practice. This isn't, this isn't like a, a fun thing to do on a, on a midday. It's like, you need to, you need to learn how to do this. And the reason why I say that is, is I, I evaluate a beer the same way every single time I go to malt character first that's difficult to do when this glass is screaming hops. Um, so when we, if we can mentally kind of take that hop character, that hop, uh, what we're smelling, what we're flaving, uh, uh, tasting and putting that on the side just for a minute, just put that on the shelf for a second and really concentrate on what the malt is telling you. We're going to talk about the malt first. We're, we're getting, because, you know, uh, we've all tasted hop water and, and that's good and all, but that's not what this is. This is a this is a band with an incredible lead guitarist, but the band is really good too, is supporting that lead guitarist. So malt is that supportive character. We're getting low to medium low grainy malt. Sometimes it's caramel that starts getting into that amber color. Uh, we can't. It can be a little toasty. It can have uh, uh, other fun flavors in there, like uh, little bits of toffee, little bits of uh, of pear, honey. There's all these wonderful flavors that you can detect. If you can uh, mentally put that the hop character on the side just for a minute and just evaluate the intensity of it, the quality of it, um, and and give those uh, flavors a name, but then we then we have to reckon with the hops. I mean, it's an IPA, right? So we we're looking at a, at least a, a moderate to a very very high hop character. But this is where I love this. It can be um, uh, American or New World hops. This is where we're talking about citrus flowers, pine trees, uh, resin, forest, foresty flavors, spice, uh, tropical fruit, especially with new world hops and getting like lychee and, and, uh, sweet pineapple and all these wonderful flavors, but we can also get berries and stone fruits. And I love, I love tasting uh, honeydew melon in my beer or a cantaloupe in my beer. It's just a wonderful experience to be able to detect those and give them a name. And all of this all of this is available in the the flavor of an American IPA these days. Uh, we can get, uh, but that's that's the flavor of the hops. Completely separate is the bitterness of the hops, and that can be very or medium high to very high bitterness because it's an IPA, right? Uh, then we get into some of these esters. 
Uh, we can get some light yeasty esters. Uh, they can manifest in different ways, uh, but we're looking for just a little bit of background fermentation fruit character. Uh, it's not going to shout, it's going to whisper. Uh, so you have to pay very close attention to this. Uh, and then uh, a dry to a medium dry finish. This is, you know, when we talk about American IPA these days, when there's so many different options, we're starting to uh, talk more about the West Coast IPA. It's a dry to a medium dry finish. It is going to clean up after itself and it's going to be really nice. Um, the, it should never be harsh though. That's the key to these styles is any beer that is harsh is not a good beer. This should be smooth. This should be delightful. And and having a little bit of clean alcohol on the on the back end is really nice as well. Should never be fusel. Should never be harsh, like I just said. And this is this is what we would expect out of a really good American IPA. How about the mouthfeel? I am going to proudly talk <laughs> about mouthfeel. And I'm also going to note my homebrew version. And I, I can't um, recall off the top of my head the full recipe, homebrewersassociation.org. Find probably what I brewed. Uh, look at that collar of Oh my goodness, look at that. Before we get to mouthfeel. And, to, describe and, that for people who are, not, who are not watching, if you will. Let me, let me do that. Two tricks for the price of one. You have a collar of foam. This this is the CO2, carbon dioxide, volatizing out, but it's actually got some hydrostatic power. It is collecting within itself. There's proteins that help this um, action happen, and it hasn't really dropped much. I keep kind of topping it off, but the two tricks for the price of one, the one trick is you're here to talk about American mm -hmm. IPA, and I feel like we're being understated in our tone. Maybe it's our vibe today. Jeremy, let's punch it up. This is the number yeah. one style. So the second trip though, trick though, is tip your pinky into that foam mm -hmm. and taste it. And it is foam is 25% beer. It is much more concentrated on bitterness. When you really want to see how bitter a beer is, you dip your pinky into the collar of foam because that doesn't really have malt residual sugar balancing it out. It's mostly that essence of the CO2 con concentrated by that hydrostatic power and, you know, proteins that were in the beer. So really, it's much more bitter when you taste the foam alone. When you get that residual sugar to balance it, it's sweeter. Two super trick, put it in your back pocket for later, pull it out at parties and, and restaurants. Anyway, sure. back to mouthfeel. Um, you know, medium light to medium body. I don't want it too heavy. I don't want it too dense. I talked about that residual sugar of some of them are just too sweet. Um, and you want it to be smooth. It's not necessarily going to be bitey if it has as much carbonation as I would like. Uh, but you know, smooth and the, the, Jeremy, the advancements of today's American IPAs over the ones that really helped establish the style from say anchor steam and Sierra Nevada and the like, um, are more oily. They have more hop oils. So you're going to sometimes in the mouth feel and the, you know, the, the guidelines don't really get into this is have an essence of those hop oils and, and don't be surprised by it. Hop oils though, often will kill that cholera foam and head retention. So I'm kind of winning on, on all fronts here. Um, but don't be surprised if it's smooth and a little bit oily. Um, and then, uh, you know, a little bit of warming from that, from that alcohol or, or ethanol is, yeah. is what you got. And it kind of reminds me what you were talking about rem reminds me of, tasting the IPAs in the early 2000s going into the 2010s where we we had that hops arms race where the more hops the better when 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 IPAs really came into their own and and superseded uh, pale ales it was all about the hops but they not all of them were done well a lot of them were harsh a lot of them uh were 
where you're you're not tough unless you can drink this IPA and and it was just it, it was just sandpaper on your palate these days when they're done well the the bitterness should not be uh, anything aggressive it should just be the soft delicate and interesting fl- flavor that we that we can enjoy and and, and that, that, that that's the fun part and when you talk about the mouth feels is it should just kind of delicately coat your palate and it's just wonderful when we talk about comparing these styles i mean we're talking ipa so first of all we need to compare this to a pale ale an american pale ale and granted they're going to be very very close to each other but an, an american ipa is naturally going to have more hop character in the forefront as opposed to being uh, balanced. Uh, when we compare this to an English IPA, uh, it's going to have uh, less caramel, less bread, less uh, toast character, uh, and and even more hop character in it. And it's going to highlight more uh, American or New World hops than English hops. Uh, when we can compare this to like a double IPA, well, double, double IPA is just going to be bigger, stronger, uh, everything this is but you know more so uh really what this is is just a delightful interesting sometimes complex base beer that is choosing to feature the the beauty of the hops coming through and so that when we talk about style comparison uh uh we'll compare other uh, specialty ipas to this but this is our base beer when we start talking about american ipas uh how about some commercial examples before we head over to some numbers I'm going to put at the forefront Julia Hers's homebrewed <laughs> version of the recipe she can't remember and is if in my notebook somewhere. It. <laughs> uh, it's performing so well. It looks the part. It looks the part. It tastes the part. It smells the part. So on top of that, commercial, meaning sold, um, Bell's Two-Hearted is such a classic, really um, puts Centennial Hops on the map. Cigar City Highlight out of oh, uh, Florida, um, Joe you know, Joey Redner started this amazing brewery. I remember the first time I was drinking Highlight, they hadn't even started packaging it properly yet. It was served to me um, or shipped to me for a tasting that we were doing in these kind of like little uh, medicine bottles. It was so cool. Kind of kind of like 32 ounce, like you would get some kind of tincture uh, in a uh, botanical shop or something type of vessel. Uh, Russian River Blind Pig is obviously one in the top of the list. And before there was double IPA or triple IPA, y'all, there was Russian River Blind Pig IPA. So when you are presented with American IPA choices, certainly keep Russian River Blind Pig on the um, list because it's not as readily sought out as it is their um, is bigger brother, Pliny, Pliny yeah. the whichever. Um, but it is the IPA example that really put things on the map in the early 2000s um, at Great American Beer Festival and everywhere else. Then, you know, um, Odell Brewing Company IPA, a, a must always get, modeled after um, Firestone Walker mm. Union Jack. I do believe Firestone inspired Odell's brewers to go for it. And then Odell took the um, baton of winning all those medals at Great American Beer Festival from Firestone for Union Jack. So both of them. And then and then Matt Cole out of Ohio and other places, Fatheads Headhunter IPA, an absolute, absolute mainstay classic. Awesome. Uh, but truth be known is you can find an American IPA at nearly – any brewery. And I say nearly because some specialize in German, some specialize in Belgian, some specialize in barrel aged. So not every uh, brewery is going to have an American IPA, but 
Right. But I'm going to, and I'm going to challenge and jump in on this. If you're a brewery making an American IPA, it's like being an Italian restaurant and not nailing spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> you better nail oh, yeah. your IPA if I walk yeah. in there and try it. So don't make IPA unless it's going to be balanced, finish a little dry, be within the style guidelines, or don't call it an IPA and make uh, whatever you know, the heck you want. Excellent point. If Julie and I walk into your brewery, uh, it, we, we know our beer styles. It better, it better uh, come through. Otherwise, we're going to, we're going to, Polite, politely challenge that a little bit. Uh, let's talk about numbers. Uh, I'm going to change things up a little bit for this style cast. I want to make a comparison between American IPA and, and British IPA, where it's, um, where it, it uh, where it makes sense. Just just to kind of show how much overlap there is, even though they're kind of vastly different beers. Uh, there, there's a lot of similarities there. So we need to be very careful about what we're calling uh, American versus British, and it really comes down to the ingredients that Julia talked about. Uh, but when we talk about ABV, uh, a British IPA is going to be from uh, five to seven and a half uh, uh, ABV, which is from you know pretty normal range to elevated. But the American IPA is going to be five and a half to seven and a half. You see how there's just a slight little upward shift on the bottom end? It's, it's almost the same. When we talk about IBUs, the uh, British IPA is 40 to 60, right smack dab in average uh, bitterness territory. The IBUs for American IPA is 40 to 70, so just a slight shift in the upward end. Um, when we talk about the color, they're actually the same, 6 to 14 SRM, or if you're EBC folks, 12 to 28. The, what, I, what I want to drive with that point is numbers wise, they look like the exact same beer. If you're taking a test, if you're taking the advanced Cicerone test, they may show you here are all the numbers of the beer style. Which beer style is it? You have to have this memorized in your head of you know uh, of what this looks like compared to its nearby neighbors. Uh, and so just keep in mind that when you study this, that these are some of the details you have to know. When we get to the the gravity, we're looking at 1056 to 1070. This is a you know average five and a five and a half percent to seven and a half percent. And the original gravity really re reflects that. For the Plato folks, we're looking at 14 to about 17 and a half. Final gravity is where the rubber hits the road. Uh, Julia, you like yours a little bit drier. I like mine uh, somewhat balanced, but not too uh, sweet and full. We're looking at 108 to 1014. Perfect. Everyone wins there. Um, a 1010 is that fence that I, if it falls below, then it's drier. If it falls above, it's a little bit fuller. For the uh, uh, final Play-Doh folks, we're looking at two to three and a half. And rounding out the whole Play-Doh thing for uh, for amount of alcohol, we're looking at 12 to 14. So uh, so you can use these numbers to uh, understand what the beer is going to be like before you order it, before you taste it. But just understand that there's overlap and comparisons that you can draw when you look at these numbers on a graph. Uh, visually and see how they stack up. And it's really interesting. But that being said, let's talk about uh, the glass and the temp. You've got a great glass for this. I do, Jeremy. And I'm just adding to the mix. Now it's three tricks for the <laughs> price of one. And I'm, I'm going to go off on glassware because I, I do have the uh, Spiegelau consulted by Dogfish Head in Sierra Nevada um, glass with deliberate ridges that then taper up 
let's talk about this glass. And it's one of the reasons I had such long, stable collar of foam head retention was because of these ridges that then kind of triangulate or um, vase-like, but in the opposite effect go up. And then you got this bulbous area for the aromatics. This is a beer glass that's made in Germany. I've seen different ounce um, published numbers, but 19.1 U.S. ounces is what I land on. Um, and it's non-lead crystal, super fun glass to drink it out of. And it's, it's different than too. the other one that I'm holding up. Yeah, it really is. And this one's the stout glass, right? So this one, left-hand brewing, I think did have a hand in it, left-hand uh-huh. hand. Um, and it's different. You see that you see the two differences there. It's wider. It's not ridged. The other piece is, is that there's nucleation sites on the bottom here. Nucleation sites are little etching. That etching on the bottom will create an area for the carbonation to attract and then break out of um, uh, suspension. And so it will give you more carbonation floating up through the glass, which that then gives you more aromatics. So anyway, glassware, I'm going with the uh, Spiegel Owl uh, IPA glass. Thank you um, to Dogfish and Sierra and Spiegel Owl. And then serving temperature, I don't want this beer. This is not an English IPA or an English barley wine or an English bitter um, for that matter. Um, I want this colder, but I don't want it, um, you know, lager temperatures, that 38 degrees Fahrenheit, I believe 10 Celsius is a place that it all will start because these are commonly obviously found on draft. Um, But I would like this in the mid 40 degree range and it's fun to have it warm up. Your hand will warm it up as you're holding it out of a certain glass. Uh, So the 38 degree Fahrenheit to start is fine, but I'd love a service temperature really of about 45 degrees, but no warmer. If it's a warmer day and a lighter IPA, I'd rather have it in the lower 40s or, you know, five, six, seven degrees Celsius. But like you said, and if it's a uh, a darker IPA in a colder day than maybe slightly warmer, like you said, in, in mid forties or six, seven, eight uh, Celsius. It just kind of depends on the, on what's going on. Uh, as far as pairing wise goes, I, I can't think of, I mean, IPA uh, really pairs, has some classic, classic pairings, IPA in pizza, IPA in burgers, IPA in carrot cake uh, are just classic, iconic. Uh, you know, you talk about the stuff in your book and and um, and and other books on food pairing. It's just these these are the ones that we know are slam dunk. I've also had this with blue cheese as another classic, iconic uh, uh, pairing. Uh, I've had it with a buffalo mozzarella, uh, fresh goat cheese in. And everything just sings with this particular kind of IPA. So uh, play with it. What what are some of your favorites? Yeah, and I love the American um, IPA with the blue cheese and the veins. Those blue veins in the blue cheese really act as almost additional hops and flavoring um, and bridge over uh, the, the alcohol level and the bitterness in it cuts the fat, the carbonation, you know, un you know, uncoat your tongue. Great, great pairing is that blue cheese. Jeremy's heard this. It's one of the first ways, Jeremy, believe it or not, you and I connected was one of our first interactions for a formal interview on beer mm-hmm. pairing. A dear friend on that day, a lifetime friendship was created over, um, talking about mm-hmm. beer and food. And so my favorite is, uh, American IPA, one of my favorite pairings of any beer style, any food dish and fettuccine. Oh. Alfredo. The fettuccine needs on top of it some fresh, fresh uh, herbs from the garden. 
Those herbs become additional notes to the hops, those American hops. You want some uh, dusted sage on top of that fettuccine, maybe some uh, rosemary that's been chopped up. And if I'm saying these words, they should start to elicit what you're going to start to get with some of those more American style hops that tip towards those forest notes. I'd also say that fettuccine Alfredo which I've eaten a lot of in my time, is rather a a rich, heavy dish. That Parmesan cheese um, gives you some good fat, some umami, right? You've got cream in that dish. Well, American IPA with its elevated medium level um, alcohol levels will be strong enough to stand up against it. The bitterness in the uh, IPA will help cut through the fat and the carbonation will do the same. So there's just a lot of synergy. And I think the American IPA almost uses the fettuccine as a sauce Um, And it also helps the fettuccine be less dense on your tongue and becomes a sauce to that fettuccine back. So it's a a full circle pairing um, and it's one plus one equals five for me for fettuccine Alfredo and American IPA. What what I hope everyone that you're listening is, you know, uh, you know, it's easy to think an IPA is just an IPA. I'll have an IPA. No, no, no. Every IPA has its own personality. Every IPA has its own nuances. And I hope listening to this, you'll go back and listen to this again and put uh, different IPAs in your hand and taste them, get to know them and pair them with the food that we talked about. Uh, IPAs are not uh, the first beer I reach for on an every single day basis, but they are uh, important beers to have in your beer and food pairing and beer experience uh, uh, toolbox. So go out and really enjoy these things. And master them. Listen to the show 10 times, get 10 different IPAs, and, and share then this report with 100 of your friends. So. <laughs> anyway, That's right. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Essence of Beer Style, the essential beer style training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. With advanced Cicerones, me, Julia, and me, Jeremy. Tune into the next episode as we continue exploring the world of beer styles and what to make of them. We encourage you to listen to the prepisodes to build your foundation and better understand beer styles. And before the next episode, I'd like to ask you to review the show and let us know what you'd like featured in upcoming episodes. Until next time, here's to you and your sense of beer style. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.